All right. Good morning, church family. How are y'all doing today? Go ahead and take a seat. We are going to go ahead and get started. All right. It's so good to see your faces this morning. Again, as Joe said, my name is Donnie Tapey. I have the pleasure of serving as the family pastor here in Antioch, Dallas. Uh, and if you don't know me uh, or my family, I have a wonderful wife sitting right here on the front row named Meredith. She's awesome. Uh, she's incredible. We also have four kids, four kiddos. It's awesome. We have Adelaide. She's eight. We have Lachlan, who's four. He's our first son. Adelaide's our first daughter. And then we have uh, Alder, who's our second son. He is two years old. And then we have Elowen, the newest addition to the family at just under three months. So she's brand new. She's awesome. And I'm so thankful for them and thankful for you because they're my blood family, but you guys are my church family. I look out on this crowd and I see faces that I've known for years. And I'm just so thankful to get to share with you guys today. So um, as you know, uh, our vision for this year is to encounter Jesus in the church, right? In the home and in the city. So encountering Jesus in the home and the church and in the city has been our vision. And two of the specific ways that we're doing that is through this sermon series that we've been going through in the Gospel of John. And then coupled together with that, we've been doing a reading plan where we're going through the Gospel of John together. So if you've not done that, uh, done that yet, I encourage you to jump in and to do that. It's not too late to do that. Uh, and so today our text is John 5, 16 through 47. So if you want to take out your Bible, your phone, or your app or whatever, we will have scriptures up on the screen, but I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible if you have it. Now, this is a pretty good-sized passage, so we won't get to everything, but we're going to take it in chunks as we go uh, in order to break it up. Um, after spending significant time with this passage over the last few weeks and just sitting in it, really, um, I feel like the Lord has given me a few things that, that he wants to share with us that really I feel like are going to be things that I pray that you will take into the rest of your life. Things that won't just be for today or the season you're in now, but things that will take you into the rest of your life with Jesus. But first, I have a little game that's relevant that I want to play together. So if y'all could pull up that video, hopefully this works. If it doesn't, I'll just describe what we were going to do. Uh, but go ahead and pull up that video. Don't play it yet. Really? Oh, wait, wait, back up. Okay, don't play it. So, uh, pause! You can't hear it. I want you to hear it. So what we're going to do, we're going to play a little game. You're going to hear a five-second clip of someone's voice. It's a famous person. Uh, about eight-second clip of someone's voice. And then you're going to have about five seconds to shout out who it is. It's just their voice. And then we're going to repeat that a few times, okay? We're going to see if you can guess the person's voice. When you hear the voice, be quiet. Just listen for the sake of other people. And then when the voice cuts off, you can shout out the answer if you know it. All right? Go ahead and press play. really helps you find that character mm -hmm. is when you get into the ring with other actors. Yeah. So when Joel and I were in scenes, he was absolutely... Johnny Depp, how did you know that? It's not like he's been in the news recently or anything. Okay, good guess, good guess. All right, the next one's harder. Next one's much harder. Right. You know, it's, it's not necessarily starlets. I, I was talking about this sort of new movement amongst young women that it's cute to be dumb. Because I have a little... Hey, Alex, I love your excitement. She's right. 
It is Reese Witherspoon. She shouted it out, but that's okay. Who who knew that? You know, as I was just watching. Oh wait, okay. That's just the way men have behaved in my life. You know, I was thinking about my uncle and my father. Bradley Cooper. Wow, y'all are amazing. I was like totally stumped by that one. Some people are watching lots of movies. Okay, last one. I think it's last one. I love telling deep stories. I love being a part of, of, of films that I think mean something. And at the same time, the films that I've done that are the big fun ones, Anybody? This is the hardest one, I think. Good guess, but no. Angelina Jolie, that's right. That's right. All right, one more. This is actually the last one now. All right, listen up. It wasn't me, personally, that they didn't like. It was that I wasn't being me. I wasn't being real. I wasn't being... Anybody? The Rock. That's right. Okay. He got it. The Rock. Dwayne Johnson. There it is. There's his picture. And just to be clear, that's a picture of The Rock, not of me. I know the body style is similar. So just want to clarify that. So. All right. So that's all good and fun. But how did y'all know their voice? How did you know their voices? You've spent a significant amount of time in your life, if you added up all the hours of the movies you've watched with those people in them, you've spent a significant time listening to their voice, spending time hearing it. You probably don't know them personally, though. But what if it was the eight-second clip of, let's say, an acquaintance from high school a long time ago? Would you be able to name it? Probably not. What if it was your best friend or your spouse? Think you'd be able to name it? Yeah, real quickly, because you know their voice. You've spent a lot of time around them. Uh, but it's not just the sound of the voice that helps us to recognize a voice. The word voice can mean the sound of someone's voice, but it also means the perspective or the values revealed with uh, what that voice communicates. It's almost like saying this person is the voice of this organization. It can mean that they represent values or, 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 or uh, the values that this voice holds. So if you heard someone you know very well saying things that don't align uh, with their personality or their likes and dislikes or their values, you'd either think the recording was fake, maybe, or you'd doubt your ears, maybe that you're not hearing it rightly. Um, Or maybe you'd think someone's even worse than that, someone's forcing them to say these things. But the last place you would arrive is that, man, this person is different from who I knew them to be. I mean, for example, like if I heard a voice recording like that of Tom Cruise talking about how he loves to eat spoonfuls of mayo right out of the jar, I'd be like, great, Tom Cruise has a problem with mayo. That's what I would think. But if I heard my wife talking about eating spoonfuls of mayo, I would know her life is in danger (laughs) because someone has a gun to her because she would never say that. She hates mayo, and I know that. And how much more the things that are even more important to my wife like her love for God, her values for parenting, things like that. I know my wife well because I've spent time with her, talking with her, hearing her voice, listening to her. You may know where I'm going with this. Do you know Jesus' voice? His audible voice, some of us may, maybe in a dream or in a vision or an experience, but I would argue what's even more important is do you know his perspective? Do you know confidently what he loves? 
Do you know what he hates? Do you know what's important to him? Do you know what's on his heart? Do you know what pleases him? Do you know Jesus's voice? Uh, What I love about the passage that we're in today is that the majority of it is in Jesus's voice, Tim speaking, his very words. As I read the passage more and more and just and just dwelt on the passage, uh, I just soaked in every word and really let it flow in me. And even in the cadence it's written in and the places where he puts emphasis on and what he speaks directly to what he repeats over and over again. I just soaked in it and I mulled on every word. And so I have a burden for us today. I have a burden for us today because I want us to know Jesus's voice. I want us to know him. I want us to know who he is, how he loves, what he loves, what he hates, what he values. I want us to know him so that we can recognize him. Does that make sense? And I want to give you permission today of something you feel it agrees with you in your spirit to say amen. We're not a quiet church. We're a church that's expressive in the name of Jesus. So as you hear something, if something agrees with you, that's not just for me. It's for everyone to help. Man, yes, amen. That's good. That's helpful to me. All right. So uh, my, my point today essentially is this, that every person, but especially every follower of Jesus, needs, must know Jesus' voice for at least three reasons that I see here in our scripture laid out. And so we're going to go through each of these. So one, we need to know Jesus' voice to reveal God the Father to us. Two, we need to know Jesus' voice to receive the Father's heart toward us. And then we need to know Jesus to discern and obey the Father's voice among a sea of voices. All right, so first up, we need to know Jesus to reveal God the Father to us. We're going to begin in our text in John 5, 16 through 47. So before I begin reading, I'm going to give you a little context. So uh, where we're beginning in our reading, it was the Sabbath day. And Jesus had just healed a man who was unable to walk for 38 years. Imagine laying on a mat by a pool, praying for healing, that someone would carry you down into this pool to be healed for 38 years. Imagine the sores you would have on your side. Imagine the condition of your legs. You would be desperate. And Jesus healed him. He healed this man. And the Jewish leaders were upset with this because Jesus has healed this man on the Sabbath. And according to the law, uh, there was supposed to be no work done on the Sabbath, that the only one who could work on the Sabbath was God alone. And so they were upset with Jesus for doing this. Uh, In fact, they were even so upset that they approached the man because he was carrying his mat that he had laid on for 38 years. And they approached him and said, hey, it's not lawful for you to carry your mat on the Sabbath. Anytime you see something like that in scripture that pulls at your guts, it's trying to make a point that that the, that the, the Jewish leaders of the day were not valuing, were not seeing what was good and right, what was most important about this man. They didn't have, weren't filled with the love of God and with compassion. They were concerned about other things. And so we see this. So this is the context that we come into this verse from, that Jesus had just healed him. The Pharisees are upset with him. And here's where we, where we begin. Chap, uh, verse 16, five, uh, chapter 5, verse 16. So 
because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, because of what he just said right there, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Now, Jesus calling God father wasn't the issue. Calling God father was commonplace to refer to God as father of all the Jews or as God as our heavenly father. That was commonplace. But it was Jesus combining healing a man on the Sabbath and saying, my father is at work to this very day. Like he's always working and I too am working. So it was Jesus saying, hey, I'm working like God is working. So the Sabbath rules don't apply to me. So that's why the Jewish leaders were seeking to kill him, because he was making himself equal with God in that way. So just to help you understand why they were upset with that. So as I read the rest of the text, I want you to follow along in your Bible or close your eyes or look at the screen, however you can engage best with listening to this. It's a little, it's not too long, but I want you to close, do whatever you can to, to focus And in your mind, I want you to grab onto anything that speaks to the relationship between Jesus and God the Father and how Jesus reveals God the Father to us. So starting in verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you. So this is right after they just, Jesus just said, hey, my father's working and I too am working and they're trying to kill him. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he pleases, to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, The father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Verse 24, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Wow. Like, the Jews were already seeking to kill him, and they're like, he's even making God his own father. And Jesus doesn't go, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, there's a misunderstanding here. You got, I, 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 God's my father, like he's your father. And he doesn't explain the misunderstanding away. 
He makes it worse or better, depending on how you're on your perspective. He presses in. He doubles down. He says Jesus is working just like his father is working. He says Jesus is nothing on his own, only what he sees the father doing. Jesus is loved by the father and he shows him all that he does. Jesus is giving life to whom he pleases, just like the father raises the dead and gives life. I mean, come on. Jesus is entrusted with all judgment by the father. Jesus is honored when the father is honored. Jesus is dishonored when the father is dishonored. Their honor is one and the same. Jesus is sent by God. Whoever believes him and on and on and on, Jesus goes and makes claims about who he is and who God is and their relationship together. In other words, church, Jesus is revealing God the Father to us because Jesus is one with God the Father. If you want to know the Father, to see what he's doing, who he is, what are his judgments, we look to Jesus He's not backing down from how they're understanding him. He's doubling down. It says this in Colossians 15 through 20. The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He is the image of the invisible God. And perhaps most succinctly and directly, a few verses down in verse 37 of our passage, Jesus tells them this, the father who sent me has testified himself concerning me. Listen to this. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders of the day, the ones who were supposed to know God best, the ones who represented God, the father to the people but had lost their way with the law and losing and, and, and forgetting compassion and, uh, in, instead of mercy. And he says this to him, you have never heard his voice nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent, Jesus. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Why do they not know him? Because they do not believe in the one that he sent. And because they study the scriptures diligently, thinking that in those scriptures there's life. But it's the scriptures that point to him. It's the scriptures saying, look to Jesus. They're missing it. And Jesus' clarity, I mean, his boldness here is amazing to think of the people he's speaking to. Now, this is if you don't believe Jesus, you don't know God, the father. That's what he's saying here. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, the father. In John chapter 17, Jesus says it even more plainly to his disciples. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent to reveal him. God, the father is the one who grounds us in reality, folks. Because it is him who defines 
reality. God the Father's voice literally does what it wills, as we see in this passage. It even raises the dead. This is the God that you serve, and not just those who know him. You know, who is this incredible God that Jesus reveals? He raises in in, in verse 28 and 29 of our passage. It says that everyone who has ever died will be raised either to life in Jesus or to stand before him in judgment. Wrap your mind around that for a second. I mean, Mother Teresa, St. Augustine, Jonathan Edwards, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., William Shakespeare, Mahatma Gandhi, Julius Caesar, Genghis Khan, Joseph Stalin, Adolf Hitler, and on and on and on. Every person you've ever known, every person that's ever passed away in your family will be raised to life. All will be raised, regardless of bodily decomposition or the manner of their death or burial, regardless of their wealth, their poverty, their position, their rank, their beauty, their strength, their ability, their talent, their accomplishments, or anything else about them that distinguishes them in our world. Everyone who's ever lived will be raised either to life because of Jesus' sacrifice or to stand before Jesus as judge. And his very voice does this. That's amazing. It's amazing to me to see this God that we serve and who he is and his power. Just like he raised Lazarus from the dead. He says, Lazarus, come out. And he obeys. His very voice created everything from nothing. I mean, he commands Nothing, nothingness, and it obeys, much less stars and galaxies and bodies and matter and molecules. Like this is the God that we served. So even when he speaks, the dead obey. Christian, follower of Jesus, this is the mighty God that you serve. Is it sinking in yet? That this is who you serve. This is who loves you. This is who's... I'm going to cry a lot today because <laughs> I spent a lot of time in this scripture soaking in it. And it, 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 I feel a burden in my heart for you to know and to see and to understand that this God, this amazing God is not out to get you. He's not against you. He's for you. And we're going to talk about that even more. Even the most humblest follower of Jesus will be accused of arrogance and pride in this life for believing the reality that Jesus is the only way to know God or for believing that God is the ultimate judge of humanity, of what is good and true and beautiful and right and wrong, or for believing that how we feel about truth doesn't make it untrue. The culture around us is shifting sand, but do not despair. Do not forget that you have a rock to plant your feet on. Do not forget that you're not awash in the wind and the waves of our culture. There is coming a day when the voice of the Son of God will call all people, you and me and I, I said me and I, sorry, you and I, to account either standing before him alone or seeing Jesus standing in our place as our advocate. This is what we believe, church. This is why we're here. This is what we believe. That God is God and that we are not. And revealing the Father to us is the gift that Jesus gives us through the cross. 
Knowing the voice of Jesus allows us to know God, to know and reckon and face reality as it really is and to discern what his will is for our lives. You know, we're not here today or in our life groups or in our discipleship groups or on serve teams or, or this community at all. We're not here just to make ourselves feel better about our failures and sin or to learn skills to be better people in general or how to do more good than we do evil. We are here to know more and more each day this God, this heavenly father who's removed our sins from us, called us children of God and is transforming us into his image. We are here to align ourselves and our lives with a holy God. And if you believe Jesus, who the father sent, guess what? Then you do know him and you've seen him. And that's good news, church. Standing before this perfect and powerful, awe-inspiring, mighty God. I don't know about you, but standing before him, I want to know where I stand with him. Before I stand before him, I want to know what he thinks about me. What has he spoken about me in relation to him? How can I relate to him? So that brings us to our next point. We need to receive or we need to know Jesus' voice to receive the father's heart for us. So a few weeks ago, we were up here at church and Lachlan was out in the lobby. I think Macy was out there and he had a peppermint in his mouth. And at some point he put it in his mouth and he just goes and he spit it out on the ground. And Macy saw him do that. And so she goes, oh, hey, buddy, can you can you pick that up? And he was like, I don't I don't have anything to pick it up with. And so she was like, OK, let's go. So she took him to get a paper towel and they come back to pick up this peppermint. You know, not a not a notable moment in life. You know, <laughs> something small. You're like, where is he going with this? And so at this moment, right when they were walking back to pick up the peppermint, I came over and I saw Macy go, all right, all right, Lachlan, can you pick it up? And I was just wondering, it seemed like he wasn't, you know, obeying her quickly. We try to teach our kids to obey. So I kind of walked over. And as soon as I walked over, he just shut down. He was like arms folded, like not looking at me, which is not like him. And I was like, hey, buddy, what's the matter? Are you, are you, you obeying Miss Macy? And Macy was like, I don't know. He was doing fine until you walked up. <laughs> and she was right, uh, as we'll see. And so I was like, okay, Lachlan, can you, can you obey? Can you pick it up? And he just was like, just locked down, just was not hearing me, didn't want anything to do. And so I took him to, I think, the kitchen or somewhere in the church. And I said, hey, buddy, what, what's going on? Like, this is not like you to just shut down like that. You always respond well to my voice. And he was just kind of sitting there for a while. I said, hey, look, look at my eyes. Look at my eyes, bud. And he looked in my eyes. I said, hey, you seem like maybe you're scared of something. What, what are you scared of? And he, he said, well, he said, I, I thought you'd be mad that I spit the peppermint on the floor. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, have I given that impression <laughs> that I that I care about peppermints being spit on the floor? And and to his credit, there's been times I have when he spent spilt red juice on our on our cloth couch and I didn't take it that well in the moment. And I had to go back to him and apologize. And I didn't react well. And so I stopped. I just knelt down. I said, hey, buddy, I love you. I said, my heart's always for you. I would never be mad at you for a peppermint spit out on the ground. And if I am, then daddy's wrong to be mad at you for that. 
I said, I'm so sorry that you felt that. I said, I love you. I wasn't mad at you. I said, you think we could go pick up the peppermint now? And he goes, yeah, yeah, let's go. And so he went and he picked it up. What's the point of that story? The way that we perceive God and how he feels about us, what his heart posture is for us, affects greatly whether or not we obey him and how quickly we obey him. When he knows my true heart posture towards him, obedience comes quickly. And one could argue, yeah, he should have obeyed you anyways. That's not the God that we serve. Did you hear that? God doesn't just look at you and go, well, I don't care what you think about me. I don't care if you think I'm against you or for you. You need to obey right now. That's not the God that we serve, that we serve a God who comes to us in our transgressions, in our disobedience and dies for us and shows us his love. Like that's the God that we serve, one who comes to us in the midst of our failure and our sin. And he comes to us and he loves us in that place where we don't care about him or we don't. And he loves us first and then calls us to obedience and provides the power of the Holy Spirit to actually help us to obey. That's the God that we serve. It says this in verse 24 of our passage. God gave Jesus authority to judge. Why? Because he was the son of man. Now that title, son of man, refers to a, a prophecy in Daniel. But, but also within that title essentially means that he's a son of man, that he's a human as well as divine. So God gave Jesus authority to judge. Why? Because he knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be in your shoes. He knows what it's like to live a human life with all the temptations, all the pressure, all the influence, all the things that you've experienced. Jesus has experienced it and he has and he has compassion for you. He knows our shortcomings and weaknesses because he's experienced them. God's true heart toward us when we receive it changes how we relate to him and everything else in our lives. Gary, uh, Gary Weens writes in his book, Come to Papa, uh, it's entitled Encountering the Father that Jesus Knew. It's a great book. Gary Weens says this, Jesus himself stated in his high priestly prayer recorded in John 17, that the real meaning of eternal life is to know the Father and Jesus Christ, whom the Father sent to reveal him. Paul knew the essential nature of this revelation, and so he prayed that God would release to the Ephesians the spirit of wisdom and revelation unto the knowledge of him. As I have prayed this phrase many hundreds of times, he continues, I have become more convinced than ever that this is the most important experience of human existence. It is the essence of salvation and occurs when the spirit of Christ comes to an individual, bringing revelation of who God is as our heavenly father. It is in the light of that revelation that every other experience comes into focus and finds its purpose. And I could not agree more. In verse 24 of our passage, it says this very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Did you know that? Did you know that, Christian? You've crossed over. If you follow Jesus, if you've received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're on the other side. You will not. Thank you. <laughs> you will not be judged. 
That's incredible. That's incredible for, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. I know what goes on in my own heart. I know the things that I struggle with. It is incredible to know that I'm on the other side of judgment. And it's because of Jesus and it's this gift. And that's where we start with him. It's not where we earn ourselves to. Gosh, I can't keep it in because it's so beautiful to me to see so many people around us in this world struggling with their identity and who they are and, and wondering who will love them, who will accept them, who will affirm them. They have a heavenly father who's there ready. That's his heart toward each and every one of us, that he loves you and he cares about you and he went to the cross for you. That's the God that we serve. And that's who, the, that's who Jesus reveals to us. And that's the father heart of God that knowing Jesus' voice reveals to us. Amen? Amen. The scriptures are full of this. It's not just in this passage. I could have, I, I, this could have been three hours long with just scripture alone. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, <laughs> our transgressions. That's right. It is by grace you've been saved. Our identity as followers of Jesus is as redeemed sons and, God, as sons and daughters. But it so often seems, I don't know about you guys, but we're wired for legalism. We're wired to begin measuring ourselves against what we can accomplish and how resilient we are and how faithful we are and on and on. But God's given an answer to you. You will not be judged. I took that judgment upon myself for you. Amen? Amen. And if we would live like this, fellow Christian, if we would really believe God at his word, if we would believe him and live like this, we would so readily throw off the accusations and the influences of, and the voices of, of the enemy or those of our own flesh and live as free and forgiven, loved saints, children of God. That's how we would live if we would just believe him at his word. And I see so many of us doing that and walking in that. And I want to encourage you in your walk to press in there when you feel accusation come at you, when you feel you're not a son, when you feel you're not faithful coming at you, know that God loved you when you were all those things. And now he's brought you into his kingdom and now you are his beloved son and you will not be judged. You have already crossed over from death to life. I'm saying it over and over again because I want it to sink in the reality of who God is and how he loves us. Okay, so finally, we need to know Jesus' voice to discern and obey the Father's voice among a sea of voices. So, y'all know this. There are so many voices in this world that are begging for our attention and demanding our obedience. One of the primary ones we often fall into listening to is the voice of what other people think, what other humans think. And you see this at work with the Jewish leaders of Jesus' day in our passage. Look at verse 541 in our text. It says this. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you, this is Jesus speaking. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my father's name and you do not accept me. 
But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How this question to me is puts the fear of God in my heart. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? That question puts the fear of God in me because it's so easy to fall into the trap of looking to what others think for your own affirmation or for your own validation. How can you believe since you accept glory for one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Seeking and accepting glory from people for Jesus here and not from God is the root of unbelief for them. He says, how can you believe since you accept glory from other people? And there seems to be a trend, surprisingly, even um, among secular circles now, criticizing social media platforms, which is one of the places where, where so many of us these days, especially young people, are finding that affirmation for who they are and for who they ought to be. Uh, Nicholas Carr is an acclaimed writer whose work focuses on the intersection of technology, economics, and culture. And he wrote an article, he's not a believer, and he wrote an article entitled TikTok and the Coming of Infinite Media. So if you like TikTok, I'm sorry. Um, there's good things on TikTok, just like there isn't anything. But listen to this. If Instagram showed us what a world without art looks like, TikTok shows us what a world without shame looks like. The old virtues of restraint, prudence, discretion, tact are gone. There is only one virtue to be seen. In TikTok's world, which more and more is our world, shamelessness has lost its negative connotations and has become an asset. You may not get 15 minutes of fame, but you will get 15 seconds. It is endlessly horizontal, each video an infinitely looping GIF. And it is endlessly vertical, uh, and it is endless vertically. The video is stacked up in an infinite scroll. There is no exit from TikTok cinema. One college student I know, having recently downloaded the app, told me that she now finds herself watching TikToks until her iPhone battery dies. She can't pull her eyes away from the screen, but she is still able to withstand the temptation to, the, the temptation to recharge her phone while the app is running. Electrical failure is the last defense against infinite media. It's our thirst for the praise of man that drives these things. And Jesus identifies it here in, in, in the Jewish leaders. He says, how can you love me if you, if you, how can you believe if you accept glory from man and not, and do not seek the glory from the only God? Our thirst for affirmation and glory and acceptance from others often drives people, again, especially those that are young, to online communities, which so often today in, uh, in today's world are made up of people who don't really know each other, but they're all offering counsel without the cost of relationship. I listened to an interview recently where a young girl was sharing her experiences. When she was 16, she began having serious questions about her sexuality and her identity. And she ended up taking those questions to an online forum. And there, other voices began to speak into her that if she was having any questions all, at all, that that meant she, that she was born in the wrong body, that she was, in fact, a boy and needed to transition. And they all began affirming this in her. And so she began down that path with hormone treatment. She even scheduled surgeries for a double mastectomy and other surgeries. And during this time, it was one of the darkest periods in her life, she said. She was so confused about who she was. The hormones were raging through her body. She was having fits of rage, all different things. And when she finally came to her senses and realized that this was a horrible mistake, 
right before the surgery, she went back to this online forum looking for affirmation that, hey, this, this isn't right for me. I, I regret this decision. But in that place, she was met with hate and rejection and ridicule and shame. There were voices that were not the voice of the son of God leading and guiding her. We must learn to discern and obey his voice. My own father in my own family, I had two uncles that left uh, their families. My own father left me, my mom and my two brothers. He because he wanted to be successful. He believed the voices that told him that to be successful, you needed to live a certain lifestyle and be able to purchase certain things and take the trips you want to take. And after the peak of experiencing his definition of success, his life declined sharply. He found himself jobless, laid off of his six figure job. He, he refused to take a job working uh, or, or earning less money. And then his health declined. And so he wasn't able to take a job that, that, that earned less money at that point. Uh, ended up basically penniless, living in, a for, in his foreclosed on home for over a year and a half. And my brothers and I didn't even know it because there was no relationship there. And he didn't want to share because he was ashamed. We found out about a year before he died uh, and then in 2014, the day after Christmas, he died of his physical ailments uh, that he had because of all the drinking he had done in his life and everything else and smoking cigarettes for 50 years of his life and all this. And he died uh, in, the, in the hospital, I, I believe, with his, with his wife uh, that he had left my mom for. And I, I, but I don't even know that. We found out after the fact that he died. I didn't even get a chance to talk to him. My father's life to me, honestly, when I think about it, it feels like a parable to me about listening to the voice of the Son of God or not and the path that can lead you down. And for me personally, feeling at times, times unqualified to lead my family because of my own failures and shortcomings or knowing that this is who I come from, feeling the weight and the reality of that can be crushing and the fear of just, I'm trying to figure out this dad thing on a daily basis. I don't know what to do. My daughter's getting older and the challenges are changing. I don't know. I'm, I'm learning. I'm, I'm looking to God as my father to help me in that. But it can be crushing and fear inducing when I sit there until I remember the reality of who God is, that he's the one who speaks and the dead obey. He's the one who commands the stars and owns everything and that he loves me. And when I layer on top of that, what Jesus has done for me, removing my sin and my transgression, enabling me access to the Father and to come back to him. And then layered on top of that, knowing where I stand with him, that I've come in as a son or a daughter, loved, cared about, loved, uh, 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 invited into the family, knowing that he's dealt once and for all with all these failures and shortcomings and sins of mine. And as the Holy Spirit reminds me and opens my eyes once again to the truth, Man, that weight lifts off my shoulders and I can, I can stand again by the power of the Holy Spirit as a son of God and I can move forward under the love of God, filled with the love of God in my heart. Church family, this is what I want for you every single day of your lives. I want this for you and I want it for me. I don't always live there. We need to know the voice of Jesus to reveal God the Father to us. And to receive the Father heart of God for us and to discern and obey his voice among the sea of voices that we hear every day.
You know, today's Father's Day. So fathers, I want to speak to you directly for a moment. Um, fathers, there are things that only you. So every father, I want you to sit up a little bit. You're ready to hear some of these things. Every father, you have way more to give than just cheesy dad jokes to your kids. I'm serious. Some dads kind of live in that space of just, I'm the funny guy. And I come in after the fact and mom does a lot of the work. You have way more to give than just cheesy jokes. Like, what do you call a man with no shins? Tony. Tony. Get it? Tony. Sorry. Okay, seriously, I'm going to move on. But fathers, seriously, you have way more to give. Fathers, when you whether you intend to or not, you are modeling to your children a picture of the father heart of God. And you will not do it perfectly. And that's okay. When your kids see you fail, I'm, I'm, speaking out of, I'm speaking this right now because it's something that I actually do really well in my life that I feel like God's given me a grace to do. When your kids see you fail, and I fail often, and they do and they will see you fail, you can model a heart that's submitted to God, that listens to the voice of Jesus and quickly repents and realigns with the reality of God the Father and his heart toward us. And by doing so, you're literally showing how to discern and obey his voice as a person who needs Jesus, just like they do. You're literally modeling for them life with God by just simply going to them and repenting of the things that you've done wrong or that thing you said a moment ago that was too harsh or whatever it may be. You modeling repentance for your kids is one of the most powerful things you can do for them because it shows that you are submitted to God. Proverbs 19.18 says this, discipline your children for in that there is hope and do not be a willing party to their death. Like, come on, Proverbs, discipline your children for in that there is hope, parents. Do not be a willing party to their death. And I don't think that's merely talking about physical death. Discipline is not behavior modification to keep kids from running into the street or touching hot stoves. There, is a gr there are greater dangers and powers in this world. Voices that are ready to lead children away down a path of death. Discipline ought to be aimed at intimacy and heart change, which is essentially building trust and aligning their hearts with God's heart, helping them to learn how to obey God, not reluctantly, but because they know that you, and more importantly, God, love them and are for them. Does that make sense? Okay. Fathers, make that your mission. I want you to fight for your kids in this area, and you will not be a willing party to their death. You'll be fighting for them. Make it your aim to know, to know, uh, for them to know your voice and God's voice so that when others speak into them, when you're not there, that's okay because the spirit of God is always with them. They can be grounded in the truth of who God is, how much he loves them and he, and they'll be quick to flee from temptation and to hold on to the truth. And when it starts early, fathers, one of your primary roles is to teach your children just simply to obey your voice. We're doing that. We've done that with all of our kids. Addie and Lachlan are doing really well with that. But Alder, he's still in the train. He's in the boot camp phase of that. And I'll say, Alder, come here, buddy. And he'll just turn <laughs> like quickly before I meet his eyes. Because if we meet eyes, then he feels like he needs to obey. And so he'll turn and he'll just stand there. And then I'll say, Alder, and he'll go. <laughs> he'll turn slightly. And give me, you know, just a little bit until I get up and, and, and come, come and get him. And then, and then we'll usually talk, talk through that and walk through discipline. If 
Fathers, you are so essential in so many unique ways to your families and to the next generation of followers of Jesus, and not just to your family, but to other people around you. And I look out among you guys and among this church, and I see so many dads who are loving their kids so well, making mistakes along the way, correcting and pressing in again, not giving up. I'm so thankful to be with like-minded people who love God and are running after him and pursuing him. Do not give up, dads. Do not be dismayed. Do not give into distraction. It will be one of the most meaningful things you can possibly do in this life. And when you get to heaven, it's going to be a crown of glory for you that you invested in your kids and in other people. Okay, so practically, I just, I, I was, my, my heart today was to inspire you to know the voice of Jesus, but practically, how do we get to know him? We love as adults to overcomplicate things and to make it way more hard than it really needs to be. And that's one of the reasons that our vision this year is to encounter Jesus. We're doing that on Sunday mornings here in teaching and hearing the word of God and worship, and then through spending time reading scripture and things like that, because when we look to encounter Jesus, it really is simple. When my kids want to spend time with me, they just say, hey, Dad, Lachlan's been going up to me lately and go, hey, daddy, can we talk? And he'll just ask me about stuff. He'll be like, hey, what, what, why are those bugs you know, wings green. And we'll just talk about the most random things in the world, most of which I don't know. And we, he just loves to talk to me and to spend time. That's what getting to know God is like, is by spending time with him, taking time to pray, taking time to be with him, taking time to sit in his presence, taking time to talk about him with your family, taking time just to be present with him. But I think the main thing that sometimes gets in the way, and this is where I, I, what I'd really like is for us to all respond to. So if y'all can stand, I need to land this plane. If y'all could please stand, if I could get the, the band to come up uh, for our last song. What I'd really like to press you guys on and to encourage you in is what are the areas, what are the things in your life that are sucking up the extra time and margin that you have to spend with God? And I want you to be convicted by that. I want you to be convicted. Where are the places in my life? What, what are the things in my life that when I look to, I go, you know, I really could spend time with the Lord. I could make time for him, but I don't because of A, B, C, or D. I want you to take a moment just to think about that. And if the Lord is convicting you at all, I want you to come down. We'd love to pray for you. That you would mark, put a mark in the sand that from here forward, Man, you're going to devote that time to God. Or even if for you, if you're like, man, I love God. I really want to know him. I've been trying, but I just don't know what to do. We would love to pray for you that you would know the voice of Jesus. And that through that, it would be revealed to you who God is. That the father heart of God would be re uh, re revealed to you. And then that through that, you would be able to listen and to hear his voice and obey it. I'm going to pray for us. Jesus. Thank you so much for our time today. God, I ask that you would speak into each and every life, God. And as our prayer prophetic team comes up here uh, to pray with people and our staff and our overseers, God, we just ask that you, Lord, would move on our hearts. Father, that if there's any place in us that needs to receive the Father heart of God today, I pray, Father, that you would speak into that Holy Spirit, that you would convict, God, and that in that we wouldn't just convict uh, because conviction is not meant just for shame. It's not meant for guilt. It's not meant for pushing you down. It's meant for love. It's meant, God, so that we know your heart and we can press into you even more, knowing who you are and knowing how you feel about us. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.